Beloved, please join me in turning in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 15. If you uh, don't have your Bible with you, there should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you, and uh, Genesis chapter 15 is on page 10. And Please stand with me as we read this together. Uh, We've been working our way through the book of Genesis over the past several months, and after taking a short break, we're back today in Genesis chapter 15, a wonderful passage for us to look at. And uh, hear now God's word, for indeed God is speaking to us through it. This is Genesis chapter 15, starting in verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Look towards heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to them, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I am to possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day... The Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. And so ends the reading of God's word. And Redeemer Church, what do we know about God's word? Grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray together. Our God, we, indeed, this is your word, and so we do ask that you would speak to us. Would you give us clarity? Would you give us understanding of how you are a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God, how our faith is uh, secure and sound in you because you are true? Would you increase our faith? Would you encourage us with hope? We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. The late pastor, Jack Miller, 
once recounted a conversation that he had with his mother uh, shortly after coming to faith in his adult life. And Jack described his mother as such. Uh, She was a virtuous person. She had endured the hardships of homesteading, rearing eight children, early widowhood, and a troubled second marriage. But I had never heard her complain, an unusual quality in anybody, unwilling to gossip. She was kind to her friends and neighbors and prepared to make every sacrifice for her family. She functioned with a moral code that made her dependable and easy to get along with, and she had a self-discipline that made her awesome. Uh, Indeed, he had great respect for his mother, and yet when he came home and he shared with her how the Lord had captured his heart and filled him with a joy and a peace that was indescribable, uh, he looked at her face and the expression that he got in return to his excitement was one of puzzlement. And he thought for a moment and he said, Mom, um, you know that we, we've always felt like we were Christians. We always went to church. We, we did those types of things. But, you know, come to think of it, I don't know that I've ever heard, I ever heard anybody talk to me about how I was lost and I needed Jesus Christ to give me a new life. And she said, well, of course, I always believed those things. I just took those things for granted. And he was confused. And reflecting on it, he said, it was confusing to me how anybody could ever take the love of Christ for granted. And I I tell you that story because there is a world of difference isn't there, between living as though you have faith and living by faith in Jesus Christ. There is a world of difference between having an intellectual understanding of the facts of the gospel and having a saving faith in Jesus Christ. So often we are focused on doing the right things, living the right way, that we miss what is truly important, which is faith in Jesus Christ for our salvation. And when we come to this passage, uh, we've seen things over the past several chapters in Abram that have seemed righteous, seemed virtuous, but it is not until... Genesis chapter 15, where Abram is counted righteous, declared righteous, and it is on account of his faith and not what he has done. And this passage, Genesis 15, is a critical passage for us to understand because it has core truths for us in the the nature of faith and the nature of salvation in Jesus Christ. For we know in Scripture that we are saved by grace, through faith. And the basis of our salvation is God's covenant that He has made with us in Jesus Christ. And we see both of these things here in Genesis chapter 15. So as we work through this passage, I'm going to follow two basic headings. The first is uh, seeing Abram's, the object of Abram's faith in verses 1 to 6. And then from 7 to 21, we will see the grounds 
or the basis of Abram's faith. So verse 1 starts, After these things the word of the Lord came to Abram. Uh, We are on the heels of Abram's rescue mission to go save his nephew Lot um, from the warring kings, which he does, and then the mysterious uh, character Melchizedek who blesses him in the Lord. And it is after these things that the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. So students, try to remember that the whole context of Genesis chapter 15 is in a vision that the Lord has given to Abram. Now the Old Testament tells us that God at times spoke to the prophets through dreams and visions. And so uh, Abraham, Abram here is functioning as a prophet. And in fact, in Genesis chapter 1, God calls Abram a prophet. And so he, in this vision, he says, Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. He says, fear not. Uh, we don't have any reason why, to know why Abram would be fearing. He, uh, the Lord has delivered him from every trial, every, every uh, predicament up until this point, And yet, the presence of the Almighty can bring great fear. And God knows this. And at times, God comforts his people by saying, fear not. In fact, it is the number one command that the Lord has given throughout Scripture. Fear not. He comforts, saying, you have no reason to fear. And he gives two reasons why Abram doesn't need to fear. He says, I am your shield. So the Lord has protected Abram and his journey from Ur of the Chaldeans to Canaan. He protected Abram in uh, Egypt uh, from Pharaoh. And he protected him uh, in uh, the the battle of the kings in in Genesis chapter 15. In fact, Melchizedek says in verse 20 of chapter 14, he says, Blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. God says, I am your shield. I am the one that has been protecting you. The second reason he says you don't need to fear is he says, uh, your reward shall be very great. But what would this reward be? Because if you've been paying attention to the story, you know by now that Abram is very rich. He has so many uh, possessions, so many people that uh, in Genesis chapter 13, Lot and Abram had to split. They had so many things. And in fact, you might remember that at the end of chapter 14, uh, the king of Sodom wanted to give Abram a reward for the spoils of war. And Abram said, no, I'm not going to take this reward from you because he did not want the king of Sodom to be able to say, I made Abram rich. But here the, the Lord says, your reward will be very great. And Abram basically responds by saying, with, with a bit of uh, a dubious response, he says, Lord, what, what, what could you possibly give me? I, I have great possessions, I have great people, but I've got no inheritance, I've got no children, I've got, got nothing, no, no one to pass this on to. There, there, would be, there would be nothing that you could give me that would be a reward. But the Lord responds by saying, Abram, your offspring is the reward. He says um, in uh, verse 4, he says, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man, Eliezer, shall not be your heir. Your very own son, or the son from your belly, shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, Look towards heaven 
and number the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said, so shall your offspring be. Now kids, maybe you've gone in the backyard uh, and you've looked out of the stars at night and you've said, okay, well I can see, well there's the Big Dipper, and uh, there's Orion, and like, well I can count those stars, that's not too many. Well, that's not what the Lord is, has done here. Maybe you've gone on a, a trip uh, where it's very dark, you know, driving across the country, or you've been on a camping trip, and you look up and there's this brilliant display of stars. Many more stars than you've ever seen before. Some of them bright, some of them dim. But the sky is full of them, and you, can, you can't count them at all. That's what, Ab- what the Lord has done here with Abram, is He has shown him this brilliant display of stars, so many, it says, if you could count those, that's how many your descendants will be. Um, now, this isn't the first time the Lord has promised uh, offspring to Abram, is it? Uh, in, in chapter 12, he said, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And then in, in chapter 13, he said, I'm going to give you offspring as many as the dust of the earth. And now he says, well, I'm going to give you so many as the stars in the sky. And yet... God had promised these things before, and yet years had gone by. The promise hadn't been fulfilled. Maybe 10 years had gone by, and Abram and Sarai's family or bodies got older and older, and the promise seemed less and less likely. And yet God is consistent, and He's persistent in this promise. This promise is going to happen. And we ought to have great comfort in the fact that God's promises are so sure and steady. We tend to take that for granted, I think, because they are so sure and steady. Um, God, uh, God's promises are true, and yet sometimes His time horizon is longer than we would expect or that we might hope. And sometimes we wonder, well, did God forget? Uh, did I misunderstand the promise? But God's promises are true. He never forgets. He means what He says, and He says what He means, and He is patient, and His timing is perfect. And so God says this to Abram. He says, uh, you're going to have these children like the stars of the sky. And then there's a simple statement, but one that resounds through Scripture, and I am certain will resound throughout the course of eternity and it says and Abram believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteous righteousness Um, there's something unique about this particular situation God has told Abram before this promise but here for the very first time Abram is said to have believed the Lord and it is counted as righteousness Um, or maybe there's something unique about this belief because certainly Abram believed something when God said, you must leave Ur of the Chaldeans to come to the land of Canaan. Or certainly there's something that God or Abram believed when God plagued Pharaoh and he saw his protection there. Or maybe there's something that God, Abram believed when Melchizedek blessed him. But this is the first time that it says that he believed and that God counted it as righteousness. Um, and it's He's counted, he is, he is declared as righteous. Uh, this is a, a powerful doctrine that we would call justification by faith alone. That God, he, God is declaring Abram in this 
uh, faith that he has as righteous. Now, it's important for us to see the object of Abram's faith. The object of Abram's faith. It says, uh, Abram believed the Lord. Um, But what did he believe? He believed God would make good on his promises. He believed that um, God would do what he said. Hebrews 11 says that a faith is assurance of things hoped for, a conviction of things not seen. God had promised offspring to Abram, and he had said, you're not just going to have offspring, but they're going to come from your belly. And even though Abram knew that his body was as good as dead as an old man, he believed in the character of God. He believed that God's word would be true. He, he's, he's believing, um, he has a conviction that God's word is true and unchangeable and secure. And he's believing it on the basis of God's character. It's God's character. It's not knowing, um, not just believing a promise, but it's believing God's promise. It's not just believing in a God, but it's believing in this God who has the character to make good on his promises. And God's character is known in his word, but God also binds his character to his word. And by that I mean God in his word declares, I am truth, I never lie. And so when God makes a promise, that promise is true and we are believing in it because we believe in the surety of God's character. And so to believe God is to believe His Word. And to believe His Word is to have confidence in this God who declares His Word to be true. And if we doubt God's Word, it is a faith issue where we are not believing God because we are claiming that God is a liar. And so Abram believes God and it is counted to him as righteousness. Now, our God identifies himself with the Lord Jesus Christ and he says that salvation is only in him. And so it's not a mere uh, faith that is counted as righteousness is not a mere uh, understanding of doctrinal facts about Jesus. Jesus was born, he lived, he died. It It is an acceptance of what God says about Jesus and about what that means for us. That he was the Son of God. That he came in the appearance of sinful flesh, that he became sin for us, that his death was a penalty to satisfy God's wrath, that he was raised to new life for his people, that only by trusting in him do we have salvation. That is the faith that must happen for us as believers, Um, that, that Understanding that Jesus is the only Savior of sinners and the only way to please God. And notice what Abram did to be counted righteous. It says uh, he believed God. He believed the Lord. 
It doesn't say that he had done righteous things and God counted him as righteous, although he had been obedient to God up until this point from what we can tell. It doesn't say that he avoided evil and purified himself and so God counted him righteous, although he had avoided the wickedness of Sodom. It doesn't say that it, you know, he was counted righteous because he was courageous or because he um, had been generous or because he worshiped God or because he tithed. Even though he had done all these things, it said because he believed the Lord and God counted it to him as righteousness. It is God counting it to him as righteousness. And so I hope you're not comfortable in your salvation on the basis of you doing good things to please the Lord. Because Scripture is very clear that faith is a prerequisite, is a first step in order for us to please God. We cannot please God. Hebrews, again, says this, without faith it is impossible to please God because those who would draw near to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. And so, it's not by what we do that we are counted righteous in God's sight, but that we believe in Him. And notice that what it says. It says that He believed the Lord and, it, and, he, and the Lord counted it to Him as righteousness. So that term countedness, counted could also be God considered Him or He declared Him as righteous at that particular point. It doesn't say that um, he believed God and he so earned his righteousness. Uh, his faith was not the, the, the means by which, it wasn't, it wasn't what earned his righteousness. Uh, he wasn't righteous because of his faith. God declared to him a righteousness, a, a foreign righteousness, something that was outside of him. There was nothing in Abram that was righteous and God said, now I declare you righteous on the basis of his faith. Um, we, the term we use for this is he imputed righteousness to him. It's a, a technical term. Uh, it was not earned, and it wasn't just started. It doesn't say that he believed the Lord, and that was the start of righteousness for him. It wasn't like faith, uh, his righteousness was incomplete. At that point, God completely and fully declared him as righteous in his sight. There was nothing more to be done. But that's not to say that there wouldn't be more that would be done because those of us who believe in God's word, that we believe this to be God's word, know that we are to work out that salvation that we have with fear and trembling, that, that God works in us that which is pleasing in his sight. So we are to put to death our sins. We are to walk in righteousness. We are to do righteous things because we've set, been set free for it. But it's not the, the, the basis of our salvation. It is not uh, the grounds of our salvation. It is the outworking of the salvation, the righteousness that we've received in Christ. Um, and we can't overstate how important this fact is for us because it is uh, the truth of our salvation. Um, Salvation is, in a large part, a righteousness problem. As sinners, we are not righteous, 
but only those who are righteous have any hope for salvation. And our, every fiber of our being is trying to prove, is spent trying to prove that we're good enough. I've got to do something that's going to make God satisfied with me. And Scripture says that that's just, that's just never going to happen. The scripture says that all of our righteous deeds, apart from faith, are filthy rags. They're worthless. They're worthless. Um, our only hope is to accept that we are, our bodies are as good as dead. And to accept by faith the only hope for salvation that God has extended to us. To put our faith in Jesus Christ. Um, it is a, is a gift that God has given to us that Christ came and was perfectly righteous. And by faith, God is counting his righteousness as ours. It is a gift of God that he is counting uh, this faith as righteousness. He doesn't specifically give us, well, this is the, how we know that it's the, the right kind of faith. He is, he is determining by his grace that the faith that we have is a faith that he is going to count as righteous. And it's also a gift of our God that we even have faith. Ephesians says that faith itself is a gift worked in us by the Holy Spirit. And so it is the righteousness of the Son of God counted to us by the grace of God the Father through faith worked in us by God the Holy Spirit. He is, he is preeminent in all these things. He is, it is from Him and through Him and to Him is every part of this work of salvation in our hearts. It is grace through faith. But take a look at how God did, in fact, work this faith in Abram's heart. There's a few different ways. Remember, God is persistent and consistent in his promises. He's, he's repeatedly coming back to Abram. And perhaps the repetition time and time again is bolstering Abram's faith. We hear God's words preached to us week after week, and God is persistent and consistent in sharing his promises with us as a means of bolstering our faith. Um, John Calvin also points out that uh, the Lord in this particular instance uses the visual imagery of the stars and that that visual imagery can serve to reinforce the spoken promise of the Lord. And the Lord has given to us visual, sensible signs in the sacraments as a means of confirming these promises that he has given to us. But also notice that this is, this is maybe one of the first times that Abram is engaged in a dialogue with the Almighty God about these promises. Um, he's asking questions. He's, you know, what could you possibly give me? Um, the Lord is talking back to him. The Lord, notice the Lord doesn't consider this insubordinate or inappropriate. And I think Sometimes we tend to be of the mindset that true faith is a blind faith, that um, we should never question these things. We should never uh, try to digest them. But that's not what's going on here at all. The Lord entertains 
those types of questions. The Psalms are in many uh, respects uh, God teaching His people to question, to, to wrestle through these things that God has said to us. And could it be that your faith could be strengthened by engaging your mind to really think through what lo- the Lord has said and wrestle through your doubts and your questions with God in prayer, um, bring it to your brothers and sisters in Christ, asking how they have wrestled through this. Um, the Lord uses the means of uh, working through these things uh, to, to increase our faith. Abram takes the Lord seriously at his promise, but he also takes God seriously that God can stand up for himself when questioned about his promises. And he, he muses and he, he chews and he digests. So, in case you're thinking, you know, how do I know if my faith is a true faith? Um, here's how I'd encourage you in just a couple of ways. One is I would say Scripture makes clear, pursue Christ. Pursue this faith. It, it doesn't give us a prescription to worry about our faith so much as to pursue true faith, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, to pray for a deeper or a broader faith, to pray through our concerns and our objections, um, to, to use the body of Christ as a means of encouragement in our faith. But sometimes, sometimes we just need to stop fighting with our objections. Sometimes uh, our objections just get in the way and we're just never going to come to a resolution. And sometimes the best thing for us to do is to lay down our mental weapons of warfare, accept what God says is true on the character of God's, on God's character, and walk in the world where that is true and see if, that is, um, if, if things fit. But be encouraged. This is the other way I encourage you. Be encouraged. If you are God's child, then know for certain that God will work this faith in you. God, um, this is, remember, this is a work of God by His Holy Spirit through the Lord Jesus Christ by, the whole, by God the Father. It is God working these things out. And if you are His, He will give you that faith. He will save you. And He will, he will never let you go. He will never lose you. So if God and his character is the, the object of Abram's faith, the, the grounds is what we take a look at now, in verse 7 to 21. And the Lord said to Abram, he said, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. He reminds Abram why he had brought him out, which was to give him this land to possess. And Abram said, O oh Lord God, how am I to know that I am to possess it? Now, the Abram is a man of faith. He, is, he has been counted as righteous. We can't see this as him doubting God's promise so much as seeking a confirmation that this promise is true. He's asking, what is the grounds for me to know that your promise is true? And the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Now, kids... If your friend or sibling said, I'm going to do this thing for you, and you said, and I promise I'll do it, and, he, and you said, well, how, am I know, how would I know? And they said, well, go get me some animals. 
you probably look at him and say, say what? Um, but that's because the practice of what's going on here is a practice that we don't do anymore in our culture, a practice of um, making promises and showing that we are true to them. So, but if your friend came to you and you said, how do I know? And then he held out his pinky and he said, a pinky swear, you'd say, oh, he's serious. <laughs> and adults have other ways of confirming promises, don't we? We have a handshake. We shake on it. A signature on a legal document or a wedding ring. Ways of confirming uh, promises that we have made, that these promises are true. And for Abram's day, this was a way, we'll see a couple parts to this, this was a way that they would confirm these promises, which we will call a covenant. A covenant, a particular type of relationship where God is saying, these are promises I'm making and it's going to happen. And notice Abram knows exactly what to do. Um, Abram brought God all these things, cut them in half, laid them over half against each other, but he didn't cut the birds. And when the birds of prey came down, Abram drove them away. So he cuts the animals, he makes a path, and he gets them ready. And there's a ritual that we'll see in just a second that he's preparing for. Okay, so God is getting ready to confirm his promise. Notice that all of this is in the context of Abram saying, how can I know? How can I know that this promise is true? But first the stage is set. It says, um, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. So the sun is going down, and, he, and the Lord puts Abram in a deep sleep. So now, if you're keeping track, we are now in a dream within a vision. Okay? And there is a dreadful and great darkness. Now, kids, I, some of us are afraid of the dark. And maybe you've experienced a great darkness. But maybe not like this. Because even if you go out camping or you're outside at night... There's the light from the stars, the light from the moon. There's some kind of light out there, and it's not super dark. And even if you're in your room, you still have the light from, you know, shining through the, the blinds or your alarm clock. There's some kind of light. But have you ever been in a situation where it is so black, so pitch, that you open your eyes and you see nothing? Absolutely nothing. When I've done that, I've noticed that I close my eyes even in the darkness because it makes more sense. It's just so weird to have such pitch black darkness. And I think that deep darkness is what is described here. But it's, a, it's not just a, a great darkness. It's a dreadful darkness. And yeah, there's, there's a, something scary about being in the dark, but I think this dread is something different. I think it's the dread of knowing that he's about to be in the presence of the Almighty God. But notice God's grace even in this. God is about to come into Abram's presence, but he protects him first. He waits until the sun is setting. He puts him asleep. And in case he were to wake up in the middle of this, he's put a deep darkness on him. So he has concealed the glory of the Almighty God. Because We've seen it in, we see in Scripture that people coming into the presence of the Almighty God, it is a moment of terror where the prophet Isaiah says, Woe is me. I am ruined. But God protects 
Abram in his grace. And then the Lord says to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there when they will be afflicted 400 years. Then I will bring judgment on them. They will come out with great possessions. You will live to a, uh, a good old age and they'll be, come back here um, in the fourth generation because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. God is making his promise and he's not just promising it again, but now he's giving visibility as to how he's going to fulfill this promise. And God doesn't always do that, but sometimes in, in this particular case, he says this is how it's, it's going to happen. Um, but do you, do you notice, did you notice why he said that there was going to be a delay? A delay on the, the, the promise. He says, they'll come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Which is interesting because God is saying, I'm going to give you this land, but the Amorites, they're still here. And they are the rightful tenants of this land. And for me to cast them out at this point would be unjust. And so I, their sin has not yet been complete. And so I'm waiting until their sin is complete. It will come soon. And then I will cast them out and I will plant you in this particular land. And even though God gives uh, reasons sometimes, He doesn't always give all the reasons all up front because elsewhere in Scripture we see that God said that the reason I let you wander in the wilderness was to test you, to see what was in your heart and to, to show that you were faithful. And so um, he gives these reasons for why there is a delay. And our God has promised to us that he will return and he will give to us a new heavens and a new earth. And he has told us that he is testing what is in our heart, that we would persevere unto the end. And he tells us that he is gathering his flock and he is waiting until that flock is gathered into his hands. Could it also be that he is waiting until the sin of the world is complete before he wipes out, when he removes the world and plants his church in perfect righteousness forever and ever as an act of his justice? So he gives this reason, and then he says, and then it says, when the sun had gone down, and it was dark. Behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And kids, maybe you, you recognize there's, there's a smoking firepot, so there's smoke, and there's fire. These two images. These are images of God. And we see throughout the Old Testament other images like that of God. If you remember the top of Mount Sinai, God appears as flames and smoke. And as the uh, Israelites wander through the desert, they're led by a pillar of smoke by day and a pillar of fire at night. And here there is a small, sm small fire and a small smoke, the, the smoking fire pot and the flaming torch. And God himself is passing between these pieces. And this is the other part of that ritual. He they would lay out the, the animals. They would take the animals, kill them, split them out. And then what they would normally do is they would say, Okay, I will, um, in this covenant, I will do this, and you will do that. This will be my part, and this will be your part. And then both of the parties would walk between these animals. And it was their way of saying, I swear. I swear that I will do this. Because what they were saying was, may it be to me 
as it was to these animals, if I, uphold, if I fail to uphold my terms of the covenant. But, kids, notice what has happened in this passage. They don't both walk through the parts. Only the Lord walks through the parts. The Lord has put Abram to sleep. And now only the image of God passes through these parts. As if God Himself is saying, I swear by Myself that this promise is true. I swear on My character that this promise is true. I will make this promise sure. It is yes and amen in Me. And so, um, if you doubt God's promises, recognize that God has promised by Himself, which is exactly why the Lord Jesus Christ came. Because God Himself was securing these promises for His people in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus was torn asunder on the cross as a means of securing for us these promises. The grounds of Abram's certainty was God's character. And God secured that promise in His Son, Jesus Christ. And so, our promises are sure as we look to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we flip through the the pages of Genesis and the rest of the Old Testament, we see that God did in fact honor His promises to Abram. The the Lord did give Abram many offspring. The the, The Israelites did eventually occupy the promised land. But we know as we flip to the pages of the New Testament that this immediate fulfillment was only a picture of the promises that the Lord has given to us in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the true offspring of Abram. Galatians says that all who have faith in Christ are Abram's true offspring by faith. And even though the Israelites had the promised land, we know that we have been promised an inheritance of the kingdom of heaven, of a new heavens and a new earth, the possession of the Lord God Almighty forever and ever. And that is a promise that is for the true spiritual offspring of Abram by faith. It is a gift that we have been given to him. And these promises find their reality and their ground only in the Lord Jesus Christ. And only because the Lord Jesus Christ was both the Son of God and the Son of Man, was he will, and willing to be torn asunder, were those given to us. And um, only because he was raised to life inextinguishable on our behalf to secure for us these covenant promises can we have a certainty that these promises are ours. So we, there are amazing promises that our God has given to us. Our God says, Look at the perfection of my son, Jesus Christ, at his righteousness. And he says, believe that his righteousness was for you. And he says, look at my son who died on the cross to bear the penalty for your sin. Believe that his penalty was for you. God says, look at the empty tomb. 
and believe that his resurrection was for you to set you free to live this new life. And then he says, believe that he is coming again to bring us to his very own, to a promise, a blessed promised land for all eternity. Believe these things. These are God's promises to you in Jesus Christ. And you might say, but Lord, how can I know? He says, look at my son and know for certain. Let's pray together. Oh, gracious God, we do thank you that your promises are yes and amen in your son, Jesus Christ. We do thank you that you have made these covenant promises to your people. We pray that you would indeed work faith in us, that we would cling to the hope that is ours in Jesus and Jesus alone. We thank you for your love for us. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.